This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. Welcome to another fun and exciting edition of the Around the Rim podcast. I am your producer, Tarika Foster Brasby, and you already know if I'm introducing the show, that usually means that LaChina is once again too busy to hang out with us. But that is okay because joining me today as guest host, I have a special 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 treat for you guys none other than my girl and espn play-by-play announcer tiffany green hey tiff hey what's going on you know lachana's out here making boss moves power moves and all that kind of stuff so I, i was thankful that she asked me to try to hold down the spot with you well, I am thankful that you agree. You didn't leave me out here hanging by myself, girl. <laughs> so um, if you have not heard Tiffany's voice before, you must have been sleeping under a rock because she is one of our play-by-play analysts and she has been holding it down for us during this WNBA season. You may hear her on the call with Debbie Antonelli. Tiffany, please let us know how has it been with these back-to-back-to-backs? I know it's been a busy season so far. Share a little bit with us of what's been going on with this WNBA season and how this workflow has been going for you. Pray for me, Jesus. Mm, (laughs) Call on his name. Yes, I do. Because let me tell you, uh, it's, it's a lot of preparation. And I think everybody has their own little process of what they go through. I probably take a little bit more time than others who are, who are, uh, incredibly experienced or, or found an efficient way, but it's the way that I like to do it. And thankfully, I have the opportunity to be home. Uh, and Colin, I actually set up the home studio at my folks' house so you know they could watch uh, my three-year-old son. But um, it's been a, just a true delight, really. Um, the question yeah. for me was coming into this season, you know, wow, what, what, what's it going to be like to call, you know, WNBA games? I've never done it before. I remember when the league started and I've watched it since, but to be a part of it and to be one of the voices um, involved with it is just, I think, always an honor. And anytime that I get a chance to call a game, it's a blessing. And I know that sounds like real, like, oh, okay, you're sitting here eating that humble pot, but like, that's real talk. Like that, that's how I feel. And then to be partnered up with, you know, Debbie Antonelli and Carolyn Peck, uh for the games that is also just a tremendous treat really because they are they are a ton of fun um so this has been an amazing experience one that i love and have cherished and uh, i will have called 20 games by the time the season is out i'm expecting a son in october so i said let me cut this short because i didn't want my stress level to go up too high you know in the final month (laughs) yeah (laughs) this is this has been a joy Well, Tiffany, you may be getting your feet wet in women's basketball, but you certainly are a history maker in our eyes as you are the first African-American woman to call play-by-play for college football for this network. And that's a huge deal. So congratulations to that. And we are thankful for what you are doing for paving the way for others in this game and in this industry. And we are happy to have some other dynamic women that are going to be joining us on this round table as today's show is going to feature some dynamic voices and some of the most incredible minds in women's basketball. We're going to have Debbie Antonelli on the show. We're going to have 
Carolyn Peck joining us on the show, national champion, first black woman to win a national championship as head coach. We're also going to have ESPNW writer Michelle Vopel join us on the show. And last but not least, women's basketball analyst Christy Winter-Scott. Tiffany, what are you looking forward to most as we head into this panel? Yeah, uh, just to be on there with those dynamic women is great, right? But um, I'm curious to know who their like playoff contenders and pretenders are, if you will, um, for them to just give us a a midseason checkup and then to um, give us their take on some of the things that maybe they found out of the ordinary this season, kind of off the wall color stuff, because you know, especially when CP is involved, Carolyn Peck, you never know what's going to come out along with Debbie into the real talk. So um, I, I just, I just look forward to it because I, I think each of these uh, women are, are honed in uh, and, and know so much more about the sport um, than even I do. Uh, so just to be on there and to glean information anytime that you can have that, you know, type of platform uh, for them to provide their insights. And obviously they do it on a, on a nightly basis or through the written word. Uh, but I, I, I want to know kind of what they think, especially like who is their leading MVP candidate right now? Because I have some mm. thoughts who I think to get it, but um, just to hear them chop it up about that. I'm looking forward to it. Well, we certainly are looking forward to a great panel. I know they're going to bring the fire as they always do. And we are going to get ready to get into that. But before we do, fans, wherever you are listening to the Around the Rim podcast, you can also find the Woj Pod. It is one of our top NBA podcasts. And the latest episode features Malika Andrews and Tim Botemps, who goes inside the bubble on what happened and what is going on with the NBA boycotts. You do not want to miss this. So please make sure you take some time to download and listen to the Woj Pod. And you make sure that you continue to keep up with us, rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your pod. And you can also keep up with us on social media. I am at she knows sports underscore LaChina can be found at LaChina Robinson. You can also follow us at around the rim pod, email us around the rim podcast at gmail.com. Tiffany, where can they find you? At Tiffany A. Green. That's green with the E at the end. Oh yeah, please do not make a mistake and forget that E because I definitely did that. I was like, wait, is Tiffany ignoring me? I wasn't trying to send her this message. No, fool, because you did not include the E on the email. So please make sure you add that. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. So, So, you know, when we try to sound real, you know, professional, it's green A. Green A. Oh, 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 we'll put the accent there. Green A. There you go. All right, fans, without further ado, here is our WNBA roundtable. Well, I'm going to just say first and foremost that I'm excited to be here with such dynamic women who know the game of basketball inside and out, who played it, won championships, covered it at its absolute best. And so we're going to dive right in because there's so much on tap. And I think after looking at the first half of the season, The biggest question I have for you all is what was your number one takeaway from those first four weeks? Well, I'll go first. Um, You know, I I think uh, we already knew there was star power and great branding inside the league, but I think the the thing that I have really enjoyed is watching some of these players that we have covered in college really 
grow inside their game, adding levels, adding some depth, uh, being highly competitive and mentally tough. We knew that you have to be that to be one of the 144 on a roster. But uh, there, there have been a lot of players that have really stepped forward for their teams, and uh, it's been exciting to watch. I think it's great for the future of the league since we're in year number 24, and, you know, number 25 is going to be even more special depending on, uh, you know, who decides they're going to retire and who decides they're going to stick around. You know, Debbie, I have to agree with you. And when you come into this season under this situation, you have some stars that aren't here. So you wonder, how good is this going to be? And the stars that have been able to emerge that many of us hadn't really heard a lot about, you know, specifically like uh, Kalia Copper. Like, she is one of my favorite players to watch, and she barely got any run last year. So you've got Maisha Hines-Allen and what she's been able to do in the absence of Deladon. I, I think that that has been what has been most fun that – the, the knowledge of women's basketball, not because of the exposure, but number two, there are more players that the country, the world, get to see and know about. Yeah, and I, I agree with, with both of you wholeheartedly, a thousand percent. And I, I just like to kind of look at it in a more broad scope in terms of what the WNBA has always done outside of the game of basketball and the X's and O's and um, the social piece and the strong women who are down there with their children, some of them, um, and the sacrifices that are continuing to be made um, outside of running a pick and roll, outside of setting a great screen. I think that these women have um, set the standard for what it truly means to be on a team and what it truly means to see it as bigger than ball in every aspect of that phrase. So I just commend all of the coaches as well who have sacrificed time away from their family. I mean, Mike Tebow just celebrated his 38th wedding anniversary and Nancy is uh, here in DC. So there are sacrifices being made across the board by these players and these coaches. But I also think it, it's tenfold in terms of the visibility that it's given to the Say Her Name initiative and uh, the voices that they have always had, but now it's even more magnified because of this opportunity to compete the way they've competed this summer. Yeah, I, I, if I could follow up on what Christy said, I don't know too many sports, honestly, and I've covered a lot of different sports, although most of my life has been spent with women's basketball, where you could talk to professional athletes on Zoom calls, and in the course of a Zoom, they could break down their defense, they could talk to you about the best aspects of their opponents, and then they could answer questions that are extremely personal and extremely grief-inducing about social justice. And they could do that so graciously, all in the course of the same Zoom call. Um, that takes really well-rounded individuals who understand that their voice is important and that they need to talk about tough issues. And they do that at the same time while performing at an incredibly high level. I don't know that I've ever been more impressed by the WNBA players. And I was pretty impressed before, but I don't know if I've ever been more impressed than I have been this summer. Yeah, and I would say, too, I mean, you think back to when the league started in the first season in 1997, I think you will see this season as one of those that you can pull out and say, 
this probably was the most impactful season all the way around. And yet it was the shortest season, right? Only 22 games in the regular season. But people, I think, will remember this because they were forced to remember it. We were uh, having to zone in on our eyes and listen to not only just uh, what the players have to say, but you know, others around the country and having to say and, and them uh, elevating that platform, I think, has been um, just a tremendous benefit overall to moving our country forward. So when we, we get into week five of the season and we talk a little bit more basketball and we say, hey, these are some of the takeaways that we took, that, that we got from, you know, the first half of the season, I guess then what would be, uh, what would go along with kind of like your biggest surprise? I know, Carolyn, you mentioned some of the players uh, within that first half of the season, but is there anything that surprised you? I mean, I guess a lot could surprise you, especially in this type of season, but what surprised you the most, Carolyn? Well, I think the biggest thing is that there's no um, homecoming team. I don't think that there's any team that you can – any game that you watch that you go, oh, this team's definitely going to win. I think every game has been competitive. I mean, we just saw New York last night. Um, you know, they just put on a show against Chicago. And I think that that's what makes it exciting in that you tune in and you don't go, well, I'm not going to watch that game because such and such is going to win. You don't know. And the great thing about sports is the unknown, the unexpected, and that's what you're able to see this year. For the expectations then that, you know, many of these teams are coming in and caring, I think, you know, many felt like with Brianna Stewart, Sue Burt back and healthy that the Seattle Storm would be the title contender favorites for this year. But Debbie, what are your expectations, I guess, for those top four teams that would get that double round by? Well, we know how important that double buy is, right, from a rest standpoint inside the bubble. So, uh, you know, I thought the same four teams I thought at the beginning are the four teams right now that, um, and I'm sure all of us would probably agree, you know, that um, L.A. and Chicago and Vegas and Seattle are the four best teams. Um, Chicago, I think, is more of a finesse team than anybody else in the bubble. So I think they have a, a, a different way of playing that um, – that allows them to have success with all their balance. But you guys all know, I mean, it's no secret. I see the game through an offensive lens. And so when I'm watching the games and I'm preparing, what I really love is all the detail at a high level, like the IQ that's required to read the pick and roll. And uh, we have more players that can pick and pop. We have more players now that can score behind a screen. We have more players that can handle with size. We have more players that understand when a mismatch is occurring and they understand how to get the switch to get the mismatch. Those are the things that I love that really elevate our game. And those are the things that I like talking about. You know, Tiffany's my partner on the air for every night because we get to do a game every night. And it's just, it's unbelievable to, to watch the detail to know that these players are really grinding it out. They know the mental toughness that comes alongside it. And those four teams, to go right back to what you said, those four clearly to me are the four best. They have depth. They have scoring power in all three levels. And uh, they've got great coaching. Of the teams, uh, Christy, in your mind that did not make the playoffs last year, uh, Dallas is sitting in the ninth spot with that loss last night to Las Vegas. But who is in best position to say who didn't make it last year, 
to try to get a spot in this year in the top eight. Well, I think Dallas is playing great basketball right now. And I think if you are, are looking at a team that wants to hold on to, to the possibility of cracking the, the eight spot, I think you have to look at a team like Dallas. Now, uh, Satu Sabli is back and healthy. Thank goodness um, that's been an issue across the league, uh, not having the full roster. But I would say Dallas would be that team that could uh, get in there. But they're only a game ahead of a Washington and Indiana is right down in there as well. So I'm just I'm putting all my chips towards towards Dallas and the way that they've been playing as of late. I just think that they're playing with um, consistency on the defensive end, and that's what's gotten them over the hump. Um, but I love Satu Sadly. I'm, I'm a tremendous fan of her game, and not just again um, X and O wise, but just uh, just her ability to to be that competitively mature as a rookie. And to come in and, and like Debbie said, to be able to um, be an initiator at all three levels offensively, but also bring that dogged intensity and energy on the defensive end. But uh, I, would, I would go with Dallas um, being that team for sure that will uh, crack the code this year and get into the playoffs. Would anybody else like to chime in to say I agree or somebody else we should keep our eye on? I'm keeping an eye on Atlanta. They just signed Kayla Davis. They're getting, could possibly get uh, Kennedy Carter back. Benajah uh, Laney's been playing out of her mind. And so the offensive power that could come from the Atlanta dream might put them in the position to compete for that eight spot. Yeah, I agree. I think Atlanta's kind of, you know, we've watched them go through really tough times and that's, some games where they just got their heads handed to them. But we always, always thought, okay, if everything comes together for this team, and I do think Kayla Davis is, is a nice, you know, signing to bring in. If everything comes together, they could be really dangerous. And we've seen that the last couple of games, um, that, that they can be a dangerous team. So that could be fun to watch. And, and, and they're not that far out, right? There's not that many games left. But if things break right, who knows? They could sneak in there and take a playoff spot. Well, I like Dallas. Yeah. I like Dallas a lot, but I, I would agree with the Kennedy Carter conversation. You know, if she's healthy and she can come back and play, nobody has a better mid-range than Courtney Williams. I think Elizabeth Williams is one of the best screeners in the whole league that makes all their stuff work. And then, um, you know, I, I think Benajah Laney, the last two games, she's had a double-double with points and assists. I mean, everyone thought she was a defensive player. And <laughs> I watched her all last year in Indiana, and she struggled to score. And she's got to be a candidate for one of the most improved. She certainly has helped Atlanta. And you, you can't look at their record. It is misleading. Although, uh, I, I agree with Christy. I like Dallas. I do think Laney has to get the award for got to be one of like Debbie Antonelli's new favorite players because <laughs> offense, offense, offense. I've got a whole list of things on my wall over here that Tippy and I laugh about all the time. Like who's the best screener, the best pick and roll, who's got the best mid range, who's the fastest with the ball. We're going to have an end of the year awards, which I would love for all of you guys to participate in if you'd like. I mean, it'd be really fun to come up with two or three names and then we collectively pick one. If you're all right with that, if you guys want to do that, and, and of course, if Tarika, our producer, is okay with it, love spring <laughs> it on the air. Okay with it, right? <laughs> bring it on the air right now. <laughs> that's what so far was working with debbie it's just like she just goes the extra 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 mile and comes up with some really cool stuff but if we stuck to like 
the traditional sense of the end of season awards. Uh, Abinajelani is one of those candidates for most improved player. Uh, Kalia Copper, in my mind, could uh, be in that conversation as well. Let, let's go through those awards and, and we'll start with most improved player. If you had to pick one, uh, who would it be right now? I mean, I would go with Benajelani just because of, you know, her balance and consistency. It hasn't just been one breakout game like, oh, there she is. It's been night after night after night, and she was bringing it. And, and like Debbie said, I mean, she had uh, double-doubles and points and assists, but in her last game, she was two rebounds away from a triple-double. So, I mean, she had eight boards. So it's like, this is a kid who has persevered. She's had injuries. And like Deb said, in, in Indy, I had uh, difficulties finding her sweet spots on the floor. And now they're all over the place. I mean, her shooting chart is like filled with uh, colorful dots because she has just been active, intentional, and aggressive and in hunting down those opportunities to score for her team. And you have to talk about Maisha Hines-Allen as well. And I know she's not getting a lot of minutes um, in the last two seasons, only averaged two points last year. And okay, she's getting a lot of minutes. And if you're, you know, analytically looking at it, well, she's playing a ton of more minutes. And so, yeah, but she's doing something with those minutes too. So you have to kind of calculate that into the mix as well. And I love uh, Clea Copper. I loved her when she was in DC, loved her at Rutgers. Um, on the collegiate level, but she is just playing with such a high level of confidence. And Brianna Jones as well. I mean, she is in the top five in the league in field goal percentage, 57% for Connecticut. And I think she's making a difference for them in the absence of John Cole Jones. So giving them another offensive piece, but she's also getting more quality minutes as well. I knew you slide a little Maryland love in there, Christy. <laughs> <laughs> I think with Laney, part I all those four candidates are great. What sort of puts Laney um, in the in the driver's seat, I think, a little bit with this is she's had to carry a lot of load for a team that was struggling, and and you got to give her a lot of credit for that. And there's also just you got to love a a player who was cut right before the season starts and then gets picked up. I mean, what an amazing story she's been this year. I mean, there's a a day not that long ago where she's like, okay, I I don't have a team now. And now we're looking at her being, you know, possibly most improved player. That's a a pretty uh, amazing, uh, you know, couple of months for her. I would have to, I I guess I'm partial to Kalia Copper because of playing on a team, uh, no Jantel Lavender, Diamond Shields has been hurt the majority of the season. And with what she's been able to bring, she's leading Chicago in scoring. And she is, she is uh, rebounding. Um, she's defending. Uh, just making the most of all of her minutes. And, and Courtney Vandersloot said they wouldn't be where they were without Kalia Copper. As many points as Allie Quigley can put up. But you've still got to have a Kalia Copper. And she has stepped up even in the absence of Azure Stevens having to be out. And Chicago's in the hunt. So, you know, right now, at this point of the season, I would say Kalia Copper would be most improved. All right. So then we've already kind of touched on, you know, some of the rookies. So, Carolyn, I'll stay right here with you. And I, I think – uh, if Kennedy Carter comes back, it's, it's her uh, award to lose if she continues to do what she did before she got injured. But uh, who else in your consideration would be up for that award and, and could give her a run for her money? Well, I think you got to look at Julie Alamon. 
uh, with Indiana, and she was expected to be a backup to Erica Wheeler, and she has stepped on the court and looked, you know, pretty much like a veteran. Um, Jasmine Jones, um, she is she has been battling with New York, and even with all the disappoint, disappointing losses that they've had, she's been a bright spot. She's been that spark that's come in, especially in the absence of Sabrina Ionescu. Um, I think that those, you know, we talk about Kennedy Carter, you know, she can come back because she was having a, a heck of a rookie season until she got hurt. Could we throw the name out there, Crystal Dangerfield? Yeah. Who would buy oh, gosh, that? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I don't know how I left her off. And, and it started from game one. She was the spark for them against Connecticut coming in in that fourth quarter. And I remember it vividly. She got a steal, score. Then she came back, hit a three. She was the spark. And then Shanice Johnson gets hurt, and she's got to be the starting point guard. And every bit of added responsibility that Cheryl Reeve has put on, on her, she has stepped up to the challenge. She's a big moment kind of point guard, too. You know, Debbie, you talk about the three Ws. She gets it. She knows when, where, and who to get the ball to at the right time. And, again, and one of the things that Cheryl Reeve said on UConn players – they don't come from a system that plays a lot of pick and roll. And that is something Crystal Dangerfield has had to adjust to and has done so masterfully in her rookie season. 16th overall pick out of UConn. So, Debbie, for you, who's your lead candidate? Well, I, I think I agree with everything that Carolyn said, especially about whether Kennedy can come back and, and be healthy and be productive because when she went out, those last three games that she played and she was averaging 25 points. So she was really lighting it up. And, you know, they, at Texas A&M, she did play in a lot of ball screen offense and she was prepared. And we, of course we know her athleticism and her ability to score in the mid range, but Crystal Dangerfield has been really interesting. The one thing it's very true. Connecticut doesn't run, run a lot of uh, two man game and they play more of a motion and uh, more of a four out one in. However, Crystal Dangerfield, like all the UConn players, have all these similarities. That is, they are tough, they are certainly coachable, and they know how to play. So even though she hasn't learned um, or played in a system with a lot of ball screen offense, it did not take her long because her skill set is such that she's prepared. So Cheryl Reeve is one of the best. I mean, she knows how to get the most out of players. And I think uh, another player that I just want to mention is Lexi Brown. I think she's had an incredible turnaround year. I think she's also a candidate for defensive player of the year, but I would also put her in one of the most improved categories as well. So since we're talking about Crystal and Minnesota, I just was thinking about Lexi Brown and what a great year she's had. And forget about Nafisa Collier. She's a first team all WNBA <laughs> player. She's fantastic. Yeah. Just what they've been able to do in, in, in Minnesota with what she's had to work with. I think Cheryl Reeve also is kind of in that conversation for uh, coach of the year. So we'll round out those end of season awards. Debbie, give me your MVP, your defensive player of the year, and your coach of the year. Well, the MVP is tough because right now today it would probably be Asia Wilson. I, I just think the way she's played is just, we know what Stewie's capable of doing. Brianna Stewart coming off the uh, Achilles injury and what a great job she's done. But today, if we, you know, we do the power poll every week, on teams, you know, today, Asia Wilson, based on the way they isolate her, the way she can score, the way she impacts the game on both sides, 
I would go with Asia. And then um, my coach of the year, I, I really like what Gary Kloppenberg has done in the absence of Dan Hughes. Um, but I, I also think Derek Fisher has put his team in a position to win the championship. He has done a fantastic job with having three core players that have won a championship and know what it looks like. And of course, you, you can't be in that position unless you have Candace Parker playing at the level that she's playing. And um, she's also in the MVP conversation, but she's also in the defensive player of the year conversation as well. I think she's having one of her best years. Chelsea Gray teases her and calls her year 13 because this is her 13th year in the league. And I think she's been as productive as she was in her first year where she was MVP and rookie of the year. Christy, what's your take? My take is I, I agree with you, Debbie, on, on the coach of the year. And that's so hard sometimes, especially at, right in the middle of the season. But at the same time, I mean, I like what Cheryl Reeve has done. And I know that, you know, you look at the seven consecutive wins by LA and Derek Fisher. Yes, he has done a fantastic job with an experienced group. But when you're looking at um, what Cheryl Reeve has been able to do, kind of the dark horse uh, coming through with an entirely different lineup, but the philosophy uh, with different kinds of players, I think has been most impressive to me at this point uh, in the season. So I think I'd have to give her the nod there. Um, and then for defensive player of the year, you were talking about Lexi Brown. I mean, she is leading the league in steals, but Candace Parker is having such a fantastic all around defensive uh, year this year, leading the league in rebounds uh, with just under 10 a game. So I, I think I want to go with Candace Parker there. Um, just like we've seen LeBron, you know, lead the league in the NBA and assist in his 17th year. I think for Candace to come through and, and just, pound the glass and you know that's something that Pat Summit always wanted her to be great at so it's just to see that intention for her I think um, I'm going to go ahead and, and look at Candace Parker for that and most improved uh, I'm going to go with Laney on that one and rookie of the year I wanted to go with Kennedy Carter but I want to see what she does the second half of the season but she is just so explosive and so confident and so skilled and I just love watching her play. I hope she's able uh, to play uh, for the rest of the season without any injuries moving forward. But I'm going to go ahead and give that to her um, for the award for Rookie of the Year. All right, Michelle, you have an interesting take here. What you got? Um, you know, the, uh, every, everybody everybody's mentioned is, is very good. Over the years, if Candace Parker has gotten some criticism, sometimes it's been on defense, right? The thought that, oh, does she play defense as hard as she possibly can? I think she's playing as hard as she can this year. Her defensive rebounding percentage is, I think, uh, you know, one of the best. I believe it's the best since, like, the early 2000s. Um, I give Right now, I would give her that award, and I think that would be a great testament to how hard she's playing this year, to, to, to have to, for her to be Defensive Player of the Year. Um, right now, the rookie, I would be still leaning toward Crystal Dangerfield and great for her. The, the attitude that she's had, you know, people said, hey, were you, were you mad because you were the number 16 pick? She's like, you know, I wasn't really mad because I'm going to fit in well in Minnesota. She might be a little mad and she just hasn't told us. But you know what? She's had a great attitude. Um, it, it will sort of depend on if Kennedy comes back and lights it up. Obviously, that'll be tough. But right now, I would lean toward her. And coach of the year, the one name we haven't mentioned yet, but maybe deserves some mention is Bill Lambeer. You know, not having Liz Cambage, not having Kelsey Plum, basically playing with a team that doesn't make very many three-pointers. You know, the question is, can you win a WNBA championship if you're not a very good three-point three shooting team? And 
maybe they can prove that they can. So I, I think he's done a nice job with that. And uh, boy, MVP, it goes back and forth, doesn't it? Uh, uh, right now, I would say I would lean a little more toward Asia uh, as well, but Stewie's right there. So I know that's completely waffling, <laughs> but, uh, but I would say those two. And, and, and we also do have to mention Courtney Vandersloot, right? Because point guards never get this award. Never. Just doesn't. Guards very rarely get MVP, at least in the WNBA. For a point guard to get it would be pretty monumental. I don't know that she will, but just the fact that she's in that conversation to me is a real testament to her. You know, you, you mentioned the uh, Candace Parker piece. I think to her, uh, one of the comments that uh, she said in, in one of the Zoom calls was the fact that that might go up there. If she's able to win it. That that trophy might go up there as Defensive Player of the Year uh, above her uh, two MVP awards, just because it was you know so unorthodox or you know just kind of not what everyone was expecting from her game. And I like these conversations of kind of like who is and and who would be um, because two, I think what we've seen is a lot of stars rise. Yes. We know the Candace Parker's, the Subers, the Diana Taurasi's, the Courtney Vandersloot's. We know those names, but of the names that are, you know, are really trying to elevate themselves and, and uh, help carry the league forward. Uh, who are your rising five uh, for the next, you know, five, 10 years to carry the mantle and take the league forward and make it even bigger and better than those previous names I mentioned? Christy, go ahead. I can give a couple. And I don't think I gave my MVP when I was doing the awards, but definitely Asia Wilson for me right now. And, you know, if you're looking head to head, Seattle, I mean, she had 23 and 14 and that win over Seattle. So that kind of factors in and tips the scale for me in that regard. But uh, five players. Wow. I, have to put at the list Enrique Gumbawale. I mean, she is an amazing talent, only in her second season, leads the league in scoring right now. Um, and I know Deb appreciates that, but I, I just think that she is one of the players that you can place up on that mantle and, and build a league around. Um, and if you're looking at, uh, you know, second and third year players that have uh, made that kind of impact, I think you start with her, and I think um, on the interior, you have to go with Asia Wilson, and I know I just mentioned her, but she's on, like she's a baby when you look at um, what she has been able to do in the last several seasons, and I just think that she is one of the players that you can just talk about for the next 12, 15 years, and she's going to be able to maintain it. And the other three, I'll let you guys figure those out, but for me, I got the inside-outside uh, punch with those two. Well, I'll add in there really quickly, I think Nafisa Collier is another one of those players who coming off a rookie of the year uh, season who has just done a really nice job filling the shoes and assuming the role of leadership uh, for Sylvia Fowles. And obviously she's still getting a chance to learn from her and from the assistants who have had a lot of experience in Plymouth Pearson and Rebecca Brunson. So I think she is just surrounded um, by a lot of leadership and a lot of championship experience that's only going to help her grow and be better. Uh, so Nafisa Collier is the name that I would add to the list. Carolyn, what about you? Let me tell you, uh, I would call her Showtime, and this is Chelsea Gray. Chelsea Gray puts on a show every time she is on TV and with the ball in her hands, and I think that she has elevated the play 
of Candace Parker, they are trying to match creativity of things that they do with the ball, how they make passes, how they make plays, how do they go the rim, how they score. Um, so I think that she would be one of those players. Um, I also think that Tiffany Mitchell out of Indiana, uh, her quickness, her speed, the elevation of her game from last year to this year, the focus in it, and not just – She's always been prepared physically. The mental focus that she's bringing in that competitive spirit that she puts on the floor. And what I'm hoping, because you always got to put a big girl in there, and that's Tierra McCallan. I really want it all to start to come together for that big girl because she could be that dominant factor. You know, Brittany Griner, she's getting up there. So now who's that next dominant post player that could be? And that could be Big T, Tierra McCowan inside. You know, Debbie is never lost for words, so we may have lost her just for this quick second. I, I guess I would say um, a, a couple of players that we haven't mentioned yet. One, the other Mitchell for, for Indiana, Kelsey Mitchell, uh, one of the all-time great scorers in the history of college basketball, and we're really starting to see her – um, come into her own, you know, as a professional scorer. And I think um, Marianne Stanley really believes that she can be that at a high level consistently and be, um, be efficient, you know, as a player. And then I know somebody we're all looking forward to seeing get even more playing time because she's the youngest player in the bubble. And that's Ezie McBagar, the young Australian um, who is just, you know, talk about so much talent and just a kid, um, and we've seen when she gets minutes that she takes a lot of advantage of that. We're going to get a chance to watch her grow up in the WNBA, hopefully. And I think she can probably just be a tremendous player, um, you know, for, for Seattle and somebody that's a lot of fun to watch. Debbie and I always are, are talking about just some random categories of like of interest and in players. Who's like the swaggiest player that you got? And for me, Courtney Williams tops that list. Just comes in with a vibe every day. She's got the juice. She's got the fire. She's, and she is just full of confidence in a good way and just brings this extra level of like, I got it to it. So the swaggiest player in the league right now. Now, Carolyn, I know you're going to have an opinion on this. Well, I'm, I'm going to go back to Chelsea Gray. Okay. But another player that we haven't talked about that brings it off the bench, Brittany Sykes. Mm -hmm. She brings the dynamite, TNT, off the bench every time. She makes something exciting happen as soon as she steps in the game. Talk about bring some swag. That's what I like to see. <laughs> oh, man. There's so many, right? And so many to choose from. And I know uh, Ariel Powers was injured, um, but wow. She, she brings it too, like, and she doesn't have any pretense. This is me. I am, I am doing this. I mean, she's a gamer, you know, with the 2K and everything else, but she's also a gamer when she's healthy and hooping uh, for the Mystics. But just her overall presence, I think she has, um, she's definitely on that team. If we're doing a swaggy team, she's on that for the WNBA. And uh, just her voice and energy and, and everything, she has all of it. All right, I, I, we we have we we've, we've talked about you know some of the greatness of these players and the way that they've been able to contribute and step up, but also 
looking at some of the teams that have um, you know, kind of been a surprise and, and probably not the best way, more so of a disappointment, um, you know, for you all, you know, what teams, you know, kind of stand out as, as that disappointment? I know there was a lot of conversation of what would the Mystics look like coming back? Obviously, they're missing a lot of pieces after winning their first ever uh, title for their franchise. But um, who else is, is kind of, you know, not maybe lived up to maybe what your preseason expectations were for them, Christy? Well, I think if you're talking about Washington, yes, they're missing four starters from the championship team last year. If you're including Christy Tolliver going to L.A. And, and sitting out this season. But I think also you have to look at the fact that, you know, Ariel Powers was leading the team in scoring with just under 17 points a game before she went out with her hamstring injury. And now Emma Mieseman has missed some time. So not only are you missing your core uh, players from last year, but you're also now missing your, your top returning players. And so this is a, a team in Washington that's, that's looking big picture. And Mike Tebow has said it. Um, the hashtag for the season is apply pressure. So it's not like, well, we don't have this. So woe is me. And we're just going to go through the motions. No, they're still trying to prove their worth in terms of these young players getting an opportunity to present themselves without having that training camp experience this year because of the pandemic. But when you have players like Shirk Sutton who get an opportunity now to play in actual game experience moments and, and you have a player like Stella Johnson who lit it up for, for 25 points, man. I mean, yeah. kids would not have had that opportunity if their fate had been different with the injuries and, and the players who are not with the team. So I don't really call them a disappointment. I kind of came into the season thinking that they were going to surprise some people, which they did starting the season three and oh, and I think people, including coach Tebow, thought that I was a little um, too excited uh, in terms of where I had the mystics at um, two and three in the league in the first couple of weeks. But then, as they won games, I think uh, some people kind of came around, but then adjustments were made by coaches, but, um, but I digress. But I, I just think that um, Atlanta, I mean, that's a team you just want to see do well. Um, but again, you know, with Kennedy Carter going down with injuries, it's just hard to, to kind of manufacture any kind of traction when you have injuries. And I think you could say the same thing for Sabrina Unescu in New York. And, you know, all of the, the upside and the anticipation of having her play this season and what was she going to be able to do to turn that team around and not to have her. You know, so there's, I mean, if injuries um, could be factored in as a disappointment, I mean, that's the worst part of sports, right? And I just think that if everyone were healthy, I think obviously we'd be seeing a, a, a different kind of uh, season for a lot of teams, but you have to factor that in as well. But I mean, I think just in terms of, of, of disappointment, you kind of want to see Atlanta turn the corner and get more wins under their belt. I mean, and, and I love that, um, that they're, they're trying to get that right. I mean, they won uh, their first game in August, you know, the other day, and they're trying to build on that. So we'll see what that looks like moving forward. But that's, that's what I would say about that. My biggest um, letdown, I think, has been Phoenix. When you look at putting Skylar Diggins with Diana Taurasi and Brittany, Brittany Griner, I, I expected more. Like, uh, that would be a team that I would think they would be tough to guard. You know, you add the addition of Sophie Cunningham. They bring the uh, tenacity to the court. 
but it just doesn't seem like it consistently has come together. Um, you know, it's tough to say disappointment of the season because, like Christy said, we've had some injuries and, and teams and coaches have had to make adjustments. But for the most part, except for the, the three games, I think, that Diana was out, now Brittany Griner has left the bubble. But before that even, when they were together, I just don't think that they have performed to what their potential is. Yeah, I'd have to agree with Carolyn. I think, I think Phoenix is actually a big disappointment. Um, you know, we did the, we did a thing where we did, we ranked top 25 players in the bubble and that's always, you know, subjective, but as we were doing it, you know, I came up with four Phoenix players being the top 25 in the bubble. And I think it was very legitimate that there were four on the list and yet here they are a 500 team. Um, and that's again, was before Brittany left the bubble. I, I agree with Carolyn. It's hard to say exactly what it is. It's not a lack of talent. And you wouldn't think it was a lack of chemistry, really, considering how long, you know, Brittany and, uh, and Diana have been there. And obviously Skylar, you know, came in and seems very happy to be there. Um, and same with Bria Hartley. So it's hard to know what it is, but I think they've been the, by far, in my mind, the biggest disappointment of the season. Michelle, I'll stay with you because um, it's, it's been mentioned a few times. And just in your covering the league over time, I mean, Yes, injuries are a part of the season, and uh, they come with any sport. But are we seeing an unorthodox or, or, or an inordinate amount of injuries, or is it just because there is such a short period of time in which games are played and, and we're seeing them, you know, consistently on, um, you know, TV? Is it – what is it? Is this something that's out of the ordinary, or what is I was- it? I was wondering, and I'd be interested in what everybody else thinks. It seems like there's been an awful lot of sprained ankles, mm-hmm. a lot of them. And, um, and you guys are all players and former coaches, and I'm just a nerd who writes. So, uh, so I don't know, but it, it, it assume, I assume that sometimes part of that is that your preparation. You know, I know with ankles, if you step on somebody's foot, right, your, your ankle rolls. But maybe some of it also is just that people weren't in peak shape coming into the season, there's no way they could have been. So I don't know if that um, contributes, contributes to it a little bit. And then, like you said, I think we're all especially worried about injuries, not like we normally wouldn't be, but because the season is so short, you know, you, if you're out two weeks, that's like a, a quarter of your season. So I think that, I think it's that combination of maybe everybody couldn't really be a hundred percent in as good a shape as they would have been and then that the injuries are loom larger because the season's shorter. Because it's a concentrated season, they're more visible. Because you think about in a regular season, there's three or four sometimes days in between games. There are some back-to-backs. But turning an ankle happens. And, but when you, it happens this season, like Michelle pointed out, it's more costly because they're playing games every other day. But if it were over a spread out season, those same injuries could possibly happen, but you have more time to recover. Um, yeah, we had one um, just the uh, last night, Kalia Copper just came down on somebody's foot. That, that just happens. But I think it's more evident and it's more um, aware on people's minds because the effect of an injury has a greater impact because there's less recovery time because games are coming. They don't stop. 
It's every other day, and here it comes. But I do think Michelle made a good point that there are some players that came in prepared for this type of season. They conditioned themselves. And, um, you know, you look at, knock on wood, Courtney Vandersloot has been steady Eddie and has been able to go and play a lot of minutes. Um, Kalia Copper hasn't missed a game or Allie Quigley. So, you know, when you have the players on the teams that have been able to play every game, look at their physical condition and what were they in. And I think that that has definitely, definitely helped um, in knowing, you know, at the level that you're going to play in in this league, you got to come in in tip-top shape. All right, Debbie is back. We had some technical difficulties earlier. And so, Debbie, I'm going to have you chime in on the injuries and Carolyn was just mentioning the concentrated season. Is this uh, ordinary or out of the ordinary? And then I'm going to have you circle right back to the swaggiest player because I want to hear yours. Well, Tiffany, I think you've been trying to mute me all year. So I'm not <laughs> surprised that I actually fell out of the call. Um, I want to go back to a couple of things. Number one, I think Phoenix is going to be fine now because I think they're going to learn to play a different way. And we see small ball inside the bubble. And we see teams that uh, are better defensively. I know Brittany Griner's a tremendous talent, but I'm just saying, you know, they're going to have to play differently. Look what Vegas has done without Liz Cambage. You know, everybody's going small with a four that can stretch and shoot it. So I'm, I'm actually thinking that Phoenix is going to be on an uptick, whether Brittany comes back or not. If she does come back, they'll have a new way that they can go to change the rhythm of the game. So I think they're going to be fine and they're still going to be in the hunt for a playoff spot. Um, the swaggiest player, I think, right now, based on what I've been watching, is Marina Mabry. I mean, come on. Now, she does not care, okay? She got a technical late in our game, which was not a good decision, but you could just tell the fight and the fire inside her. We're used to that. And I only think um, that Arike fuels that inside her because they were teammates and roommates in college at Notre Dame. And I'm watching those two. And I, I think she's got some serious swag. And then to go back a, another one, just so that I can stick this in there, we were talking about, you know, non-rookies or second or third year players. You know, I'm all about Nafisa Collier. I, I think she's fantastic. But I also, also think Satu Sabali is going to be a long-time, big-time producer in this game. And she has all the skill set with the size. She's young. She can play. And then – I think Marianne Stanley has actually done a very good job with Kelsey Mitchell. I agree with what Carolyn said. She was talking about Tiffany, but also when you start talking about Kelsey, I think she's starting to understand how to play. And, you know, she's always been one speed. We know she's made more threes than anybody in the history of the game in college, 497. Um, but she's, she's a player that really is starting to understand her downhill explosiveness and how to change gears in the pick and roll game. And I think that keeps Indiana in the hunt for an opportunity to, you know, be fighting Dallas for that last spot. In changing gears a little bit, just your personal take and your experiences. Uh, I just want to know from each of you, you know, what has this been like covering the league from home in, you know, we're outside the wobble. And so, um, Obviously, I, I'll say I've enjoyed being home, right? It's, it's, it's been great. But, um, you know, just what has this experience been like as compared to, you know, other times that you, you've, you've um, you know, covered the WNBA? I'll, I'll start with that. I'll tell you what, 
um, all of us are on a hop, you know, during the season. You know, I coach high school basketball, too. I have uh, three teenagers who are running somewhere constantly. So to sit down, basically, and go from 1,000 to zero and kind of ramp it back up to, like, 250 has been nice. Um, I totally um, miss the hustle, but I think, like Carolyn said earlier on, you know, just the anticipation of the unknown. Like, that's why we love sports, because you never know, night in, night out, what's going to happen throughout the game. Um, but I know calling games from home, while it has been convenient, um, especially the, the Twitter game that I did um, the other day, and then there's my son coming in right now. You know, it's just like always something happening. But, um, but the, the Twitter game that I called a couple weeks ago, you know, I was so excited about the game and the interaction with the fans and, and all of that. And then once the game was over, I was like, do I just go to bed now? Like, it was just like, you're always having to catch a flight. You always have to, you know, get to the airport. What's next, next game, next thing, next thing. And then when it's over at home, when you're calling a game, it's just kind of like a free fall for me. Um, and, and like, what's next kind of mentality. So it's been an adjustment, um, but definitely have, um, I've definitely loved being home um, with the family because, you know, we eat together now. It's like always somebody scrambling, grabbing something and taking it in the car and eating and all that. But we don't have that now. So it's kind of like uh, afforded us kind of how it was when they were little, you know, when we were all at home and kind of somewhat at a, a slow pace. So I appreciate it, but it is kind of, it is kind of uh, daunting in terms of like what actually to do next because there was always something and now there's not so much that's next. I think it's been great. And it's been a lot of fun because most of the time, at least six days a week, women's basketball is on TV. So if we're not calling a game, we have women's basketball that we can watch. And so that makes it a lot of fun. And the games this season have been exciting. And even if it's not a Monday, but it's an, another game day where there are games, you, you, you might, well, I'm going to take a break. But your curiosity is like, but that's a good game. So I got to watch it. So yeah. that concentration of it has been fantastic. And to be able to do it from home, because if you could see, I'm doing it out of our dining room. And I have computers, monitors, and everything. So we eat in the living room. <laughs> but it is, you know, and, I, and I'll sometimes tell my husband, ah, oh, I'm tired. And he will remind you, me, you're at home. And I'm like, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I thoroughly appreciate, uh, I think by the end of the season, I will have done 30 games in this WNBA season. So... It's been a blast, and I, I can't wait. I, we won't be doing the playoffs, so when the playoffs start, I can sit back, I can get my popcorn and a cold beverage, and I can sit back and enjoy it. I can get my tap to cheer on the app. I can pick me a team. <laughs> Y'all won't even know it's me, but I will be enjoying every second of it. Well, I would say, you know, I've been home since I got back from the Pac-12 tournament in uh, uh, March 9th. And I think my dog and cat are almost getting sick of me. Like they kind of <laughs> would like for me to be gone a little bit so they could miss me somewhat. But um, the thing that's been the best about the WNBA in the bubble is the Zoom calls. From yes. a writer's standpoint, 
we're getting more access with players and coaches than any time. And I've covered, I think everybody here has covered the, the league or been involved with the league since it started in 97, more access now than we ever get. So what I've told um, Terry Jackson with the union and Kathy Engelbert is keep the Zoom calls. When things go back to normal, have players and coaches get on these Zoom calls because obviously all of us can't be every place at once. And having the opportunity to, to talk to, you know, say three or four coaches and players from those teams in the same day. And even if you just have one question to ask, you can hop on the Zoom instead of setting up a whole interview for it. It's, it's really been good for the league. And I think it's kind of like the, the silver lining of this whole thing is we've learned that there's ways technology can help us um, cover things and do our jobs that we can take forward once the, you know, things are quote unquote back to normal. I 100% agree with Michelle on the Zoom calls. I mean, the access, the stories, the behind the scenes, all of that we feel like we're, we're understanding. And the league has done an outstanding job. The players and the coaches are on time when they set the Zoom. I mean, it's great. It's been great content. And uh, like many of you, I've been home since March 10th. And when I first got home with my three boys, I mean, I was passing them in the hallway and we were literally going the same direction. So I was like zipping right around them because uh, the pace that we keep and the, the tempo that we go at is, is so fast. But um, I, I have really enjoyed being home. Two of my guys have gone off to college, but I'm seven steps to the restroom and I'm 18 steps to the refrigerator post game. And most of the time I don't even have shoes on. So uh, I'm, I'm so um, I'm just um, after 33 years of calling games on television and to have this experience. And like you guys, you know, I've covered the league from the beginning and actually the ABL before that. So I don't just look at it as 24 years of the WNBA. I actually look at it as 26 of professional women's basketball. And there was that one year where players had a choice. They could play in the ABL or the WNBA. So um, I, I feel so fortunate to be able to be home. Um, you know, I've got the sign on my door when I close the door and it's kind of a list of no's that the boys have to know they cannot do like no running, jumping, don't throw the ball, don't knock on the door, don't come in. No, I'm not making dinner tonight. I've got a game, you know, like just stuff like that. That's been really interesting. And, uh, and I, I mean, I'm home, I get to walk the bridge, I get to go to the beach. Um, I get to work. I mean, it's just things that we don't always get to do when we're on the road and we're traveling and we're, you know, we're hustling from one spot to the next and we're trying to watch film and we're you know, it's just, I love being in the home studio. This thing behind me is from 2015. I must've bought it at a KL cancer fund auction at a golf tournament. And it's been sitting in my husband's office and he's like, what do you want to do with this WNBA thing? I'm like, I forgot I even had it. So it's been perfect to have that in, uh, in the backdrop to promote the league and, uh, I mean, like you guys, I'm just thrilled to be able to have a chance to call the games. And, and Carolyn, yes, we are over the 30-game mark this year, which is awesome. Debbie, not to mention, you know, all of the uh, fun wares that you have at home and memorabilia. I mean, you throw out the jerseys and pull out oh, the yeah. whiteboard. I mean, it, it's just been it's just been it's it's been a, a ton of fun and I'll break uh, this one out right now there, there, there I, she I is like the, this is what happens with, uh, uh, just so you know <laughs> and then uh, when they can't see us and there's a questionable call sometimes I put this jersey on <laughs> <laughs>
We have a ton of fun with it. Well, ladies, this has been absolutely outstanding. The phenomenal four right here, Carolyn Peck, Michelle Vogel, Christy Winter, Scott, and Debbie Antonelli. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate your insight, your knowledge, and just you being you. Uh, I, I just want to say that I, I love you all. And I just want to extend that love to you through this, uh, through this Zoom call to let you know I think you're fantastic. You're fantastic too, Tiffany. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.